Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Security Insider podcast. And today we are talking with Chris Delaney, Industrial Relations Advisor for ASIL, the Australian Security Industry Association Limited. And obviously we are talking about some of the specifics around staff and staffing uh, with regards to what's going on with the coronavirus. Chris, welcome to the podcast. How are you? Well, thank you, John. Uh, thankfully, I'm well. Yes. yes. It's good to have you back on again. Not your first rodeo. Uh, we've done it before, haven't we? We have indeed. Now, Chris, before we get to specific questions, um, are there any general things that employers need to do to get through this crisis? Because I imagine there's quite a lot to talk about and we don't want to sort of be here all day. No, look, I'm not going to go into uh, too much detail on this. Uh, we all should know by now that we've got to wash our hands, that we've got... Uh, work and health, health and safety uh, um, obligations to our employees to make sure that there's a safe workplace and so on. Uh, we, we should be looking at the policies that we have that would deal with leave in particular and these types of situations and what our legal obligations are. But you know, beyond that, um, you know, we're all in this together and we need to be flexible we need to be reasonably agile because probably by the time this podcast comes out, the federal government may have made another decision that, that uh, we haven't covered today. So we need to be on top of it all the time. And we need to be communicating with our clients, our staff, on a regular and constant basis to keep them aware of what's going on and to allay any fears that they might have. And, you know, we've seen a lot of panic in the general public, uh, unnecessary panic. And that comes from poor information. Yeah. So I think those things are things that people need to be really cognizant of in the very first instance. Absolutely. The panic is a big one. In fact, I saw a great quote the other day from someone saying that in times like these, fear and selfishness are often contagious, but then again, so are courage and, uh, and courtesy. So we should probably all remember those. I think they're words to live by at the moment. Yeah, look, in the industrial relations parlance, it's always been a fair go all round. Yep. And we've got to look at it that way. Everybody's being affected by this. Um, and we should be looking out for each other because in the end, we're going to need each other. Yep. Yep. All right, so let's get into the meat of this. And I guess the first thing on most people's minds is that if the government decides to close down schools and employees have to make a choice between coming to work or staying at home, what are employers' responsibilities? Look, if there is a close down, uh, then Section 524 of the Fair Work Act kicks in. That's the stand-down provision. Now, if an employer... Uh, has to stand down employees through no fault of the employer, then they are entitled to do that without pay. So they don't have to pay the employer. However, you should be giving your employees an opportunity to take any paid leave or long service leave, annual leave or long service leave, if it's available to them. And uh, however you can ease the burden on the employee, that would be a good thing to do. But closed downs uh, are covered by Section 524. And a caveat on that is, if it comes to that, contact a professional and get professional advice because it is a very, a very complex area of law. Right. Okay. So 
can an employer stand down employees without pay if they have no work due to circumstances beyond the employer's control? Because there's a big difference between the government saying, we're shutting everything down, and employers simply saying, well, we've got no work for you. Well, yeah, there is a big difference between the two, and that's where the complexity comes in. Uh, it is not absolutely clear that, for instance, if, you're, if your client says to you, well, look, I'm closing up shop today. Um, I don't have any work for your employees anymore. Too bad, so sad. You get on with whatever you need to get on with. It is not absolutely clear that in that instance it would trigger Section 524. So it, it, that's where you need to be start start talking to a professional and give them the full advice. I'll give you an example. Last night, somebody came to me and said, look, uh, my client is scaling back and I no longer need 50% of the staff that I would have to, to look after that client. My initial view on that, and it remains today, is that that doesn't trigger 524. Yep. Uh, you know, that can happen at any time. It doesn't need the coronavirus or anything else to do that. Your client can always say, look, I only need half the people now. And, and that might be an argument about the contract that you have for the number of hours you pr provide. But it's, it's not necessarily one of those situations that I would say is outside the control of the employer. Yeah, and I guess this is where a lot of people are going to find the confusion exists in that and correct me if I'm wrong, but my reading of what you're saying is that there is a big difference between an employer who says, no, no, Chris, you're still employed, but I want you to go home for the next three weeks. If I say that, then I'm obliged to continue paying you, which is different to... correct. Yeah, which is different to, okay, I no longer have any work for you to do, um, so I, I can't continue to pay you. You'd be trying to redeploy your staff into different areas. And that's where, for instance, if you've got a few casuals on board, you might be looking to provide work for your permanent staff before you continue uh, having your casuals. Yep. And that's the very sad part about the casual arrangement for them, unfortunately, because it isn't a permanent arrangement and it isn't. Um, there, there is no obligation on the employer to continue to provide work or pay for work that's not done. Yeah, but I guess this comes back to what you were talking about before. And look, let me say this to everyone listening. We get that a lot of this is hypothetical, and in a perfect world, things would work differently. But we're just putting these ideas out there. I guess this is what you comes where you were talking about it before, Chris, where if you do have a fleet of full-time staff and some casuals, you know, we are all in this together and this is where it's perhaps incumbent upon some of the full-time staff to say, okay, well, I'm prepared to give up, you know, half a day of my roster um, so that some of the casuals, if everyone gives up half a day of their roster, then some of the casuals can continue to have some work because there's some common sense maths at play in all of this that people don't seem to be talking about, which is, Sure, you can expect me to continue paying you for the next three months, but at the end of that, we might be out of business and we'll never be able to employ you again. 
or we can use some common sense and a bit of brains here to work out how we can get through this together for the next three months, six months, whatever it may be, so that when the economy comes back, we can continue to employ you for the, the foreseeable future. And, and, and that's the type of discussion and communication that employers and employees should have, including uh, you know, using some of the annual leave that you might have available to you so that you can... Uh, reduce the number of people in the workplace and perhaps keep a few casuals in work. Yep. Okay. And I guess employers too also need to be a little bit flexible where they can about staff trying to pick up other part-time work and casual work to try and supplement their income. Or being prepared to work in different areas of the workplace that might have a greater demand than the area that you normally work in. Yep. Uh, the security industry does require people to have licenses and so on to do certain types of work but they can be redeployed into other work that maybe doesn't require a license it might be that that you've got a business that has cleaning as well as security that happens a fair bit um, and you might need a lot more cleaners than you do security people so the security guys might be reasonably willing and should be reasonably willing to work in those areas if uh, if, if there is a vacancy available yeah so I guess one of the other things that a lot of people are going to be wondering is what should or can an employer do if an employee shows signs of illness or has been exposed to someone with COVID-19? Mm, good question. So employers who show symptoms or complain of symptoms should be told to follow the Australian government advice. In other words, seek medical advice immediately and advise the employer as quickly as possible what that outcome is. Then it may become a question of sick leave or not sick leave. But you know, the, the telephone number for uh, for this medical advice is, by the way, one eight hundred zero two two triple two. That's one eight hundred zero two two triple two. If you're showing signs or symptoms, or you believe that you've been in contact with somebody who has signs and symptoms or has been confirmed with uh, COVID-19, that's the number you should call because that's where you will get the best advice straight away. Yeah. And that raises another really interesting point because if, you know, security are the frontline response often. They come in contact with people all over the place. That's the nature of their job. And so it's not unforeseeable to expect that they may come in contact with someone who has a confirmed case of COVID-19 which raises the question, if an employee is in self-isolation because they've come in contact with someone, but isn't necessarily exhibiting signs of the virus, does an employer have to pay wages during the period of isolation? Not if the employee has taken that decision themselves. Right. Uh, if just taken the decision to say, and I, I, again, I had one last night. Uh, the employer wrote to me and said, my employee uh, self isolated. Uh, he's been to the doctor. The doctor has given him a doctor's certificate for one day and said that he doesn't have the coronavirus, um, but he hasn't come back to work yet. What do I do? Mm. And the answer to that question was, well, there's one day sick leave there. Yep. There's not a week or two weeks sick leave there. There's one day. The person is fit to resume normal duties, fit to work, and they should, they should be at work. Yeah. Uh, and we can, you can understand why people might be concerned and a bit, you know, a bit worried. I've, I've had the check and the doc says I'm okay. Um, 
but I, I, I don't want to go back to work. Yeah. But everybody, as, as we've said so often in this podcast, we're all in this together. We've got to cooperate with each other. Yeah, and there's certainly an element of common sense that needs to be exercised here too where, you know, if an employee returns to a workplace after a check with a doctor and the doctor has said, no, 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 you're clear, and the other staff start treating them like social pariahs because they're they're a bit sniffly or whatever the case may be, it's, it's really, I imagine, incumbent upon that employer to communicate to the rest of the staff and say, listen, person X has been checked, they've been cleared by a doctor, just calm down. And look, communication is the key. Uh, we've got members at the moment who are doing uh, 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 toolbox meetings every morning. Um, some of the larger employers are sending texts to their members, their employees every day, keeping them updated with what's going on. Not just what's going on about the virus, but what's going on about continued employment and, and you know, opportunities for redeployment throughout the business. All of those sorts of things. The more you communicate with your employees, the more cooperation you're going to get. Yep, absolutely. And that communication is a two-way street. You've got to be listening to what your employees are saying and dealing with that, making sure you get rid of the myths and all of those sorts of things. Yeah. Now, in amongst all this talk of locking things down and having people work from home and all the rest of it, that's great in many instances. But there are a huge number of government agencies in the private sector that depend really heavily on monitoring centres to protect buildings, infrastructure, workers and so on. I mean, what happens there uh, to, to, you know, how do we keep these things open and operating yeah. if, if they say, okay, well, we're shutting everything down? Yeah, look, that's a, that's a very, <clears throat> excuse me, not coronavirus, just a frog in the throat. <laughs> um, that's a very good question. Uh, we have ASIL have been in touch with state and federal ministers. In fact, just before I came on, I was in touch with the federal minister's office uh, this morning. Uh, and we are uh, trying to get some clear indication of what parts of or all of the security industry uh, might be considered an emergency service so that if there is a lockdown, those services can continue to be provided uh, looking after infrastructure, providing monitoring services, technicians uh, for you know, the breakdown of, uh, of you know, various types of security uh, infrastructure, uh, you know, looking after uh, government offices and so on. So we see that there is a very strong role that security can play in both the technical side and the manpower side. Uh, and we're seeking from federal government and state government because there's some crossover there, um, uh, an exemption based on an emergency service so that we can keep providing that service to to, uh, to the community. Yeah. So... We haven't got an answer yet. I'm sorry. I can't, I can't give you one. That's okay. Uh, this is a moving, fe- a moving beast, really, and it changes from day to day. And, you know, that's kind of the point of these podcasts in these environments is to keep you up to date and keep members up to date and anyone who's got questions or involved in the industry up to date on what's going on. Um, so I guess the next logical question then is, well, well, what happens if the government enacts a lockdown and employees can't come to work? Well, again, I think we, we covered that a little earlier when we yep. talked about uh, invoking Section 524 of the Fair Work Act. Um, 
if, if you can't, if you're not allowed to come to work, and it's not the employer's fault, the employer doesn't have to pay the employee. Now that can be negotiated between the employee and the employer if the employer is capable of of supporting it. Uh, otherwise, if the employee has any paid annual leave available to them, uh, they can take that, or 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 it's going to be leave without pay. Yeah. Now, one thing we touched on earlier, and I know this is going to be important to a lot of people who are employees within the industry, but also employers, the security industry employs a huge amount of casuals. Are they entitled to pay? Because the union is basically pushing the message to everyone, we expect you to continue paying your casual staff regardless of what happens, which is nice, but what's the legality and the reality? Well, black letter law, the legality is that uh, a, uh, a, a, a casual employee has no entitlement to paid leave. Uh, they're paid a 25% loading um, to cover not getting paid leave and so on. So the, the clear answer is no entitlement to payment. Mm. Uh, I understand what the union is saying and there will be a lot of small employers out there who just couldn't possibly pay their casuals. But for some of the others, uh, if, if there is some availability of uh, reducing the burden, perhaps they, <clears throat> perhaps they should look to do that. Yeah. If you've got a casual who's been long-term or regularly working for you over a period of time, you might want to try to work out how you can ease the burden on them. Yeah. But the law is no work, no pay in that instance. Yeah, which is tough and I guess this is where it comes back to everyone exercising a bit of common sense around you know what can we do to try and repurpose people you know am I able to give up a small amount of the work that I'm doing to try and help out some of my colleagues so they have a little bit of work as well everyone yeah it's the three c's compassion uh, common sense and and care really yeah it, it really does require all of that um Employers shouldn't be behaving like sort of, you know, rapacious profit-making machines. Mm. Uh, and employees shouldn't be so dogmatic about what they will and won't do uh, that, that brings these things to a standstill. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a long haul from what we're told, um, you know, maybe six months. Yeah. Uh, it's a long haul. And, and unfortunately, not all of us are going to make it. Yep. There will be employers who go to the wall here. And when they when they do go to the wall, there's no work for employees. Yeah. So you know, we've we've got to work together on it. Absolutely. And I guess the last thing that I sort of want to cover off on, because we've we've spoken about most of the common questions that I think you've addressed, Chris. But you know, I was fortunate enough towards the end of last year to do an interview with a guy who is the international flight controller for the International Space Station. And he was telling me about something that they use frequently in NASA called first information. And I said to him, what is first information? And he said, imagine you're in the coffee room making yourself a a coffee on your break and someone comes running into you and says, uh, his name's Ed Van He says, Ed, 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 the the International Space Station's fallen out of orbit and it's crashing to Earth and everyone's going to (laughs) die. NASA teaches all of their staff to never, ever, ever respond to first information because what that can do is then send you running off and enacting a chain of decisions and actions 
that could have dire consequences based on what you've heard. He's like, always, always wait for the second, third, and fourth bits of information before you make a decision. And it's exactly the same in this coronavirus situation. We are getting stuff from the media every minute of every day, some of it true, some of it false, some of it total twaddle, don't respond to first information. If you're an employer, if you're an employee, whoever you may be, hear it, check it, double check it, then respond to it because otherwise you may waste hours, if not time, and precious people rushing off on a course of action that is not going to be the most prudent for your organisation. And don't do what Donald Trump does and refer to this as Chinese flu, for goodness sake. Seriously. What is going on there? I totally agree, John. And the only thing I would add to that is just consider what your sources of information are. Are they reliable? Facebook's not, quite frankly. Yep. Um, You know, are they authoritative? Where are you getting your information from? Employers should be getting it from the government and their employer association, whoever that employer association may be. And they will, the employer associations will act responsibly and make sure that they don't create fear and panic where fear and panic ought not to exist. And yep. it doesn't need to exist in this situation. Yep. We can be very sensible about how we go about doing things, from washing our hands right through to dealing with uh, loss of work and, 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 and having to stay at home. So we can get through it. There will be casualties. There's no question about that. Um, yep. But if we are sensible about it and we care about each other while we're doing it, we should be able to get through it reasonably unscathed. Absolutely. Courage, compassion and care. They're the three C's that we all need to be observing here. Look, Chris, thank, thank you very much for your time today. Um, ladies and gentlemen, if you have questions... Please don't hesitate to contact ASIL. You can visit their website at www.asil.com.au. On there are all the contact numbers. People like Chris are available to take your calls, take your emails, answer any questions that you may have. That is the point of being an ASIL member. If you want, we have a whole series of podcasts in the Insider Series that are dealing with a variety of different corona-related situations. We have more coming up. I had a great chat with someone who's a crisis communication specialist the other day. Uh, That should be out shortly. But please stay safe, exercise common sense, and be kind to the people around you. And we look forward to talking to you again next time.